Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. Well, for those of you I haven't met yet, I am Pastor John, one of the pastors here at Stonebridge. And we have been going through a sermon series called Storytime where we're looking at the parables of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. These stories that Jesus tells that reveal to us aspects of the kingdom of heaven. And we'll be doing this series for this week and then next week. And then after that, we're going to move into a new sermon series looking at the book of Acts. We've been looking at aspects of the kingdom of heaven. And in the book of Acts, you get to start to see the church pointing people to the kingdom of heaven in their different cities and their different cultures. So we'll be looking at Acts and looking at the different ways the church interacts with different cities. It's titled um, Summer in the Cities. And I want you to know that if you think that's clever, I had nothing to do with it. Any of the good sermon series titles come from the staff. If it were up to me, it'd be like Matthew, Acts, whatever the book was, that would be it. So if you like that, thank them. There you guys are. Thank you. Actually, it was Sally and Jonathan, huh? Yeah, you guys had nothing to do with it. Anyways, this morning we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35, and I invite you to hear the word of God. Then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, if my brother or sister sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and, pay and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him that debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God for this word. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we gather here to be shaped and challenged by this parable, this story that you told thousands of years ago. We are here to understand what is close to your heart. We are here to be challenged by you in the same way your disciples were challenged when you first shared this parable with them. So speak to us now. Shape us, inform us, mold us, guide us that we might reflect you in this world. Let us understand what is closest to your heart through this story, Lord. We thank you and we praise you and it's in your name we pray. Amen. 
This parable raises two themes for us, at least two themes, but two dominant themes that I see. Punishment and forgiveness. And we're going to be addressing both of those themes in this parable this morning. But we'll start here with punishment. This is a parable that is very, very Matthew. All of the Gospels approach Jesus from a slightly different perspective. They all have different emphases, different things that they focus on and highlight. And this parable really highlights some themes of Matthew. I think the best way to see that is to compare this with some other Gospels. Now, this Gospel only shows up, or sorry, this parable only shows up in the Gospel of Matthew. But that initial teaching on forgiveness, the difficult teaching that Jesus teaches, that actually shows up in the Gospel of Luke. And you can see the difference in how Luke frames that teaching and what Luke follows that teaching up with what Matthew does with that same teaching. In the Gospel of Luke, it says, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, And if the same person sins against you seven times a day and turns back to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive. It's a very similar teaching. Forgive as many times as it takes is what Jesus is saying. But then in Luke, it says that the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord replied, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. In Luke, we have this difficult teaching about forgiveness. But then we have the apostles wanting to fulfill it, asking for faith. And then Jesus tells them, faith can do incredible things. It's this encouraging, uplifting, go get them type of message. In Matthew, we get this teaching on forgiveness, and then we get a story about a king who wants to sell a slave and his entire family, his wife and children. And then he forgives him, but then the slave goes out and chokes somebody else. And then the king takes back the forgiveness and throws him into jail to be tortured. It's a little different the way the two writers of the Gospels frame Jesus' teaching on forgiveness. The thing is, there's just a lot of punishment in Matthew. For whatever reason, Matthew is more focused on punishment than the other Gospels are. There's just more punishment in Matthew. For those of you who were here last week, you remember some of the things I said about punishment in Matthew. The phrase weeping and gnashing of teeth shows up in the, Gospel of Ma- sorry, in the New Testament seven times. Six of those seven times are in Matthew. Words that are translated as hell show up in the New Testament 22 times. Nine of those are in the Gospel of Matthew. Almost half are in Matthew. The next closest is Mark and Revelation, who have words that are translated as hell three times each. So Matthew talks about hell three times more than the next closest books in the New Testament. For whatever reason, Matthew is just more focused on punishment. And there's different ways that you can interpret the punishment in Matthew. There's different ways that you could interpret what's going on here. But I want to say that however you interpret it, I think that one thing we can all walk away from is that at the very least, when Jesus is talking about punishment in the Gospel of Matthew, it's highlighting things that are very important to Jesus. He's trying to help his followers to understand that this is important to me, so much so that this is the consequence 
if you don't do this. And he's trying to elicit certain behaviors out of his followers so that they will be known in this world as his followers. What's funny to me, though, is when I think of punishment in the Bible, I don't know what you think of, but when I think of it, what I think of is like a fundamentalist preacher 50 years ago saying that you're going to be punished. If you go to a dance, you're going to be punished. If you go to the movies, you're going to be punished. And if you go to a dance and the movies on a Sunday, you're definitely going to be punished. Usually the punishment language is tied to some sort of cultural, social behavior. But when you look at what Jesus attaches punishment language to in the Gospel of Matthew, these teachings, these behaviors that Jesus is lifting up, you get a different picture. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus attaches punishment language to calling someone a fool. And when I read that, it makes me very happy that I'm not active on social media. Because so many of us, if we look at our social media feeds, might have to repent of some things that we've shared and things that we've said, calling other people we disagree with fools, because it's so easy to do that. Another section, Jesus calls the Pharisees children of Gehenna, which is one of the words that's translated as hell, but he calls them that because of their hypocrisy. Hypocrisy gets tied to punishment language in the Gospel of Matthew. If you do one thing and say another, if you're self-righteous, if you lift yourself up, that gets attached to punishment language. At another section, punishment language gets attached to not feeding the hungry, to not providing water for the thirsty, to not welcoming strangers into your homes, into your towns, into your cities, to not visiting prisoners in prison. When you look at a lot of the punishment language in Matthew, it seems to be attached to behaviors that come from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus makes it really clear. He wants his people, his followers to be known, not by their righteousness, well, not the righteousness, but as he defines it, not by their might, not by their power, not by the fact that they are right all the time. He wants them to be known by their mercy. And you see that here in this parable. He wants his followers to be known by their forgiveness. And here's the thing with punishment language in Matthew. It's never actually the main point. It's always attached to something else that is the main point. It's there to highlight something else that is important. So in this parable, while the punishment language is graphic, the point is actually not punishment. The point is forgiveness. That's what this parable is trying to elicit from Jesus' followers. Forgiveness. Jesus wants his people known by their ability to forgive, by their ability to show mercy. And when I say forgiveness, I want to be clear that I'm not saying that forgiving someone means that you let them continue to hurt you or to harm you or to harm somebody else. You can draw boundaries with somebody and still forgive them. The way the Bible talks about forgiveness, it's actually similar to what this parable does. It's talked about as almost a debt, that when you sin against God, you sin against others, there's a ledger and it's being written down. But then Jesus takes that up and tears it up. God forgives it and it's no longer owed. Forgiveness is about letting go of the idea that other people owe you something, that other people 
somehow still owe you anything. It's about letting go of that entitlement that we hold on to. Letting go because somebody wronged you or wronged somebody else that they somehow owe you something. Forgiveness is erasing that. And you can see in this parable that forgiveness is the actual main theme here. I said there were two themes, punishment and forgiveness. Forgiveness is the main one here. At its core, this is a story about forgiveness. The king forgives the original slave, but the original slave doesn't embrace it, doesn't own it, doesn't actually hold on to it, doesn't realize and isn't grateful for all that has been forgiven. The debt that's forgiven by the king is massive. There was no way somebody could have paid that off in their lifetime. So when the slave is saying, give me time and I'll pay it off, he's not being honest. But even then, it is still forgiven by the king. But what does he do? He goes out, He finds somebody who owes him a much smaller amount and he chokes him. He doesn't extend the same forgiveness. That is what then elicits the punishment. Not extending an even smaller amount of forgiveness than what was extended to him. That's what brings us to the punishment. But forgiveness is the main point here. And let's be very, very clear. Ranting and raving and holding on to things against the people that you think have wronged you, that's actually easy to do. Oftentimes when people are complaining about people who have wronged them, oftentimes when they're complaining about people who disagree with them, it's portrayed as though that's courageous and that's brave, but it's not. Forgiveness is courageous. Forgiveness is brave. And forgiveness is incredibly difficult. And I think that's why Jesus attaches this pretty graphic punishment to forgiveness in this parable. The idea of being tortured because he knows. Some of us will respond to his teachings on forgiveness and say, yes, I want to do that. I want to forgive people. But most of us are going to go kicking and screaming. Let's be honest. Most of us don't want to forgive the people who have wronged us. We don't want to forgive the people that we disagree with. We don't want to forgive the people that we think are wrong and are doing horrible things. We want to act like they still owe us something. Forgiveness is really difficult to the point that I often wonder, how exactly do we live this out? How can we actually be the merciful, forgiving people that Jesus wants from his disciples? In the mid-90s, in the wake of the apartheid regime in South Africa falling, where black people and white people were divided between each other, Two different societies living in one land. One significantly worse than the other. The entire country of South Africa knew that they needed to come together. So one of the things that they did was what was called a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And the basic idea of this was that if you went to a courthouse and at a certain time you confessed the crimes that you had committed during the apartheid regime, If you confess the ways that you had wronged other people, you would receive amnesty as long as you were honest and as long as you were forthright. It was not a perfect attempt at bringing reconciliation. Obviously, the nation still has problems, but it was a noble attempt at trying to achieve this. But what this Truth and Reconciliation Commission did is it created this scene on one specific day. An older black woman was there. And she had been wronged by a former police officer in the ghetto that she lived. Officer Vanderbook was his name. 
And what Vanderbilt had done is he had taken this woman's son from her and her husband. And he had taken him out to a place that they didn't really know. And he took her son's life. And while they burned her son to get rid of the evidence, he and his friends partied. He confessed this in that Truth and Reconciliation Commission. But not only that, years later, Officer Vanderbuck then took her husband also and did the same exact thing. And he confessed to this in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And the woman was sitting there. The victim was sitting there. And they turned to her and they asked her, what would she like to happen? Now, she didn't get to dictate what would happen, but they wanted to hear her voice. They wanted to hear her desires in that. And this is how she responded. She said, I want three things. I want first to be taken to the place where my husband's body was burned so that I can gather up the dust and give his remains a decent burial. My husband and son were my only family. And then she went on to say this. I want, secondly, for Mr. Vanderbook to become my son. I would like for him to come twice a month to the ghetto and spend a day with me so that I can pour out on him whatever love I still have. And then she concluded, and finally, I would like Mr. Vanderbook to know that I offer him my forgiveness because Jesus Christ died to forgive. This was also the wish of my husband. And so I would kindly ask someone to come to my side and lead me across the courtroom so that I can take Mr. Vanderbook in my arms, embrace him, and let him know that he is truly forgiven. Sheesh. I cannot imagine being that woman and getting to that place. And what's remarkable to me too about her testimony there is if you notice she said, this was my husband's wish also. That he be forgiven and that he know that he was forgiven was her husband's wish, which means in the time between he took her husband's life and her son's life, they had talked about how they wanted to forgive this person who had robbed them of their child. I can't imagine that. Now what ends up happening in the story is somebody did carry her over to Officer Vanderbuck. And as they embraced, everybody put their arms around each other and started singing Amazing Grace together. Now, it's one of those scenes that is so perfect that I didn't think it was true. So I did, I did some fact-checking on this. I even called a friend of mine who was running a prophet in South Africa when I first heard this and said, is this true? Have you heard about this? And he said, yes. This actually took place. This woman actually extended that level of forgiveness. It's remarkable to me. It's challenging to me where I don't even know entirely if I think it's right. But I know that this is actually what Jesus calls us to. This is the challenge that he gives us. And she gives us a clue, this woman, into how she was able to do that. I think she answers for us the question, how can we get to the point where we are merciful, forgiving people in the way Jesus calls us to be? She says, I want him to be forgiven because Jesus Christ died to forgive. Matthew gives us the same reminder as well. The only way you can become a forgiving, merciful person is by truly embracing the fact that Jesus forgives you first. By recognizing that whatever it is you have done, Jesus forgives that. Whatever debt you owed God has been forgiven. It has been cleansed. 
The king forgave that original servant's debt. And the cautionary tale comes in the fact that the original servant didn't truly accept what that meant and wouldn't extend that to others. But the only way we can ever be the merciful people Jesus wants us to be is by first embracing and recognizing the mercy that God extends to us. That's the foundation of how that woman was able to display the character of Jesus in such a profound way that I honestly don't think I could do. Not at this point. We're all working towards being merciful and forgiving. We are all on a path. But Jesus wants his followers to be on the path towards mercy, towards deeper forgiveness, towards more grace in our lives. And I think he gives us this cautionary tale so that whatever motivation you need, you will move towards that path. That woman's story might be enough motivation for you to want to be more forgiving. But if it's not, then go read the end of Jesus' parable and take that as your motivation as well. And know that this is very important to our Lord. This is how he wants his people to find. So may we be the merciful, forgiving people that Jesus calls us to be, that God models for us in Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Lord, we ask that you would challenge us. Help us to know what the forgiveness you call us to looks like. Help us to model that so that other people can experience your mercy, can know of your love, can know of your grace, and place their hope in your resurrection knowing that they are forgiven, Lord. For any of us who are wrestling with if we are truly forgiven or not, help us to trust in your forgiveness. And then to go out in this world, extending that same forgiveness to others, Lord. We thank you. Lord, deepen our trust in you. And as we move to take our offering now, bless this offering. Bless it so that we might be your merciful people. Bless it so that your parable challenging us can encourage us to display your forgiveness to this world. Use this offering so that we may be a church known, not for how right we are, not known for how powerful we are, not known for how mighty we are, Lord, but known for how merciful we are. Shape and form us into that type of community, Lord. We thank you, we praise you, it's in your name we pray, amen. Until the veil was torn The moment that hope was born And guilt was pardoned once and for all Captivated But no
shadow you won't light up a mountain you won't climb up coming after me there's no wall you won't kick down lie you won't tear down coming after me there's no shadow you won't light up mountain you won't climb up coming after me there's no wall you won't 